welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Jude chapter 1 again. If you weren't here last week, you can go to Revelation, take a left, and end up there. It is the second to the last book of the Bible. But when I was growing up, things were a little bit different than they are now. And I know some of you are way older than me, and you're like, yeah, I know that. But when, when I was growing up, we had one TV channel. And it's that one TV channel worked better when the wind blew a certain way. And if you guys remember that? I know there are some of you that are in here, and it's like, well, when I was growing up, we didn't even know what a TV was. Okay, I hear you. I'm spoiled. And I know that there's some of our youngers in here going, wait, what's a TV channel? That means you only had one streaming service? No, we had one channel that played one show at a time, and that's all you got to watch. And, uh, you know, I've noticed that today at our house, we have three streaming services now, and still we can't find anything that we like to watch. We'll watch 20 minutes of show and turn that off and watch 30 minutes of another show and turn that off. We have a hard time finding things that we like to watch. And I've come to this conclusion because of that, is that we have already passed the best TV shows that will ever come out. We've already seen the best of everything. And exhibit A for this, in my opinion, is the Looney Tunes. You guys like Looney Tunes? Yeah, look at that. Bugs Money socks this morning just for y'all. Uh, Looney Tunes is the absolute best show, in my opinion, that you could ever watch. I, I love this. Uh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Yosemite Sam. Uh, there's a couple of lesser-known characters I want to talk about this morning. Uh, if you want to pull that picture up, this is Ralph Wolf and Sam Sheepdog coming up on this picture here. Now, when you see Ralph Wolf, the first thing you're going to think is, oh, that's Wiley Coyote. That is not Wiley Coyote. I had to look up the difference. Wiley Coyote has a black nose. Ralph Wolf has a red nose. Now, if if you ever watched this cartoon, these two characters were in constant contention with each other. Ralph Wolf and Sam Sheepdog would show up at the time clock every morning. They would punch their clock and they would go to work. Sam Sheepdog's job was to protect this flock of sheep. And Ralph Wolf's job was to steal the flock of sheep and destroy them. Now, one of my favorite episodes is Ralph Wolf takes and he puts on a, a sheep clothing and he tries to sneak out into the midst of the sheep. Now his, his job is to infiltrate the flock and destroy the flock. It's the old adage, a wolf in sheep's clothing. But because Sam Sheepdog has very keen eyesight and he's playing very close attention, he's like, there's, there's something wrong with that sheep. That, that is not just a sheep, that is a sheep, or I'm sorry, that is a wolf dressed like a sheep. Now we've all heard that. Did you know that that adage, a wolf in sheep's clothing, is a biblical term? It comes straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ in Matthew 7. And he's speaking specifically about false teachers. That is people who will come into the midst of Christian community. They will look like us. They will dress like us. They will carry a Bible like us. They will sing all the same songs that we sing, but they are not like us. They're not one of the flock. They're not one of the individuals coming to learn and worship God. They're coming into the uh, flock to destroy the flock. And we see here one of Satan's plays in his playbook that he uses to war against the church. Satan hates what we're doing here right now. If Satan can find a way and he is working on it as we speak to shut down what we're doing, where we come here and we worship Jesus Christ and we sing to him and then we open the Bible and we worship as we grow, Satan wants to shut that down in any way that he can. If he can make it illegal, he can. 52 different countries in the world you cannot gather as a Christian or own a Bible. If he can bully us out 
out of it with political pressure. We're seeing that in our country now that, you know, Christians are being called all of these names. If he can harm us in some way, we've seen persecution, he will do that. But one of the plays in Satan's book is to let us gather, let us come here, and then send somebody into the midst of the church, into the midst of Christian community that appears to be like one of us, but is not to lead us away from God. That is one of the things Satan wants to do. And last week we started a series called Contend. And what we're doing is we're studying the book of Jude. And what Jude is doing in this entire book is he is warning us about these false teachers who will come into the midst of Christian community and then they will start to try to turn people away. And so Jude's main context, his main point, is that as followers of Christ we should contend for the essential truths of the faith. When somebody comes in with false doctrine, with false teaching, when they come in to destroy us, by putting this poisonous teaching in us, we have a job to contend within our own hearts for the faith, knowing the essential truths such as Jesus is God, that salvation is a gift from God, that he gives it to us and nobody can take it away from us, that our God is both a God of wrath against sin and mercy to those who repent and turn him, and that we are made to serve him. But Jude warns there will be wolves among us who will come in and they'll start to say, was Jesus really God? Is salvation really a gift or do you have to earn it? Oh, God's not really a God of wrath. He just wants good things for you all the time. God really serves you instead of him. And what Jude warns us to do is to contend for that. To contend here in this context simply means we've got to keep ourselves away from the false teaching. It's okay for people to say what they want to say, but when that stuff starts to get into our heart, that is when it leads us away. So we cling to the essential truths of the faith. And over this very, very short book, this short letter that Jude writes, he gives us three tools that are going to help us contend for the faith. The first one we talked about last week was remember the condemnation of these false teachers. Jude makes a very specific point that these individuals who are doing this, they are not unnoticed by God. They will be punished for what they're doing. There's a big danger and God takes very seriously false teaching. So stay away from them because there's a teaching to it. Secondly, in our topic for today, is that he's going to give us a profile that helps us identify the wolves among us, to identify the false teachers. And then next week we will go to the third point, the third tool that he gives us, which is to focus on the faith. But today's content is about the wolves among us, how they appear like us, and how to identify them. He's going to give us a profile. And he's going to center on two different things that help us identify false teachers, wolves among us, people who appear like us but are not us. The first one is their motivation, and the second one is their tactics. In fact, that's your first take-home truth today, is we identify false teachers by their motivation and by their tactics. We identify false teachers by their motivation and their tactics. If you've got your Bible open, this is verses 8 through 11 in Jude 1. Jude speaking here, he says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts. And these things they correct themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily into the era of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that. So we're going to begin focusing here on verse 11 that gives us a look at the motivation of these individuals. 
Now last week we saw Jude do this where he would pull biblical stories from the Bible, from the Old Testament and he would use them to illustrate his point. Uh, I want to camp here for just a second that this is really important. Scripture expects us to be students of Scripture. When you read your Bible, the Scripture is assuming that you've already studied other parts of Scripture. That's what we're doing now. We come here to be students of Scripture. That's what we do in Bridge Cruise that Jared announced this morning. We come here to be students of Scripture and we should be doing that at home, studying Scripture on our own because the Bible pulls off of itself to, um, to explain itself in a lot of ways. And that's because there is no higher teaching for the Bible to reference than itself. It is a self-evident text. It's like this. Imagine if you and me worked at a private company together and I was an employee and you were a mid-level manager and you come to me and you wanted to give me a job that I didn't want to do. Brian, I need you to go you know, shovel the poop and take out the trash and all the jobs nobody wants to do. Now, if I ask you as a mid-level manager, by what authority do you do this? Who made you the boss? You would point to the owner of the company. The owner of the company is the highest authority. They decide who's in charge. They put me in charge of you. Now, if I got mad about that and I went to the boss and I was like, okay, listen, you're the boss, you're the owner of the company. Who made you the boss to tell me what to do? What would they say? I made me the boss. I don't have to reference any higher authority in this company because it's my company. I will reference myself. I'm the boss and I said do it or you can leave. What scripture does is it references itself as the highest authority. It doesn't have to reference some other story, some other text. It references itself again and again and again and again. I've got a picture coming up here. Um, somebody decided to take all the cross references in the Bible, which is every place that the Bible connects to itself and make a graph out of it. Uh, down on the bottom of this graph, all of those little uh, gray lines, those represent every single chapter in the Bible that you're holding. And each one of those little arcing lines above it represents where one of those books or one of those chapters connects to another chapter in the Bible. The lower ones, the blue and purple, the smaller arcs are where those connections are very close in the scripture. The bigger arcs, the greens and the yellows talk about how far those may be. So there are places where Genesis connects to Revelation across the whole Bible. On this graph, there are 63,000 places where the Bible references itself, connects back to itself. 63,000 places where the Bible connects to itself. And what we're going to see with Jude is that he continually does this, connecting back to Old Testament stories to make the point of what he's saying. And he's going to give us some examples of errors that are recorded back in the beginning of the Old Testament to explain what we're now experiencing in the church at this time. This is written in about 100 A.D. and now 2023 A.D that can define false teachers and wolves. The first person that he references is Cain. You can find the story of Cain in Genesis. Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, and he had a sibling, Abel. And both of these two gave an offering to God. God looks at Abel's offering. He finds it acceptable. He takes it. However, he looks at Cain's offering and says, something's not right about the way that you offered this and the heart in which you offered it. And he rejects Cain's offering. 
Now, Cain immediately becomes jealous of his brother Abel. Why does God accept him, but he rejects my offering? And it's actually recorded, God comes and has this little conversation with Cain. It's like, why are you upset? Why don't you just do the right thing? If you will just correct yourself, will you not too be accepted? I'm not picking on you. You just have a responsibility to do the right thing. And if you keep going down this road where you're mad because I've accepted Abel and not you, and instead of repenting and turning to me, it's going to lead you into deeper sin. The rest of you know that story later is that Cain, out of jealousy, rage, and frustration, murders his brother Abel, the first murder ever. The, the crux of the story, the intent, the intent of the story, is that Cain was selfish and greedy, and because of that, it drew him away from God. Jude then references Balaam, which you can find in the book of Numbers. Balaam was a prophet for Israel. God spoke to him. He was supposed to be a protector of Israel. But yet when Israel was under attack from other, uh, other countries, he turned his back on his nation, thus turning his back on God. And he began to bargain with these invading forces and telling them where the Israelites were weak. If you want to take over Israel, you attack them here. If you want them to turn away from their God, you give them false gods like this. And he gave them counsel about how to take over Israel for the purpose of becoming rich and powerful. Uh, third, Jude here references a, a person named Korah. This is also found in Numbers. Uh, the rebellion of Korah is when Korah, who was a priest, somebody who was supposed to be an emissary for God, looked at Moses, who was in charge of Israel this time, who God had risen up to lead Moses out of Egypt. And he looks at Moses and goes, I don't like that guy has all the power. So he gets a bunch of followers around him and he comes to Moses and he says, you have too much power. You should not be in charge. We should be in charge. And he rebels against Moses for which he and all of his followers were immediately killed. Uh, the story of Korah has to do with somebody who wants to gain power. So Jude applies these three stories to the false teachers among us. And he says the motivations of these three individuals are very similar to the false teachers among us. This brings us to your second take home truth is false teachers are motivated, <clears throat> excuse me, false teachers are motivated by selfishness, power, prestige, and money. Selfishness, power, prestige, and money. This is the exact opposite of what the Bible calls for in biblical leaders. The Bible does not call biblical leaders to become a leader to get power or prestige, to get money, to get rich. The Bible calls biblical leaders to serve God selflessly. If you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's one of the places that gives us qualifications of pastors, of leaders in the church. And, and this is what it says. It says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires a position of a bishop, that word bishop could be translated overseer, elder, pastor, those are all the same thing. A position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. You see, the profile of a biblical teacher, the profile of someone who should be reverenced, listened to, um, and, and has the ability to lead is a profile of someone who is marked by selflessness and somebody who desires the growth of God's kingdom and spiritual growth in others. So when we look at biblical teachers, if we want to start to begin to assess, is this someone who I should 
should follow? Is this someone who I should listen to? Or is this possibly someone who is a wolf among the sheep? The first thing you look for is their motivation. Are they motivated by greed and pride and selfishness? Are they motivated by selflessness and a desire to serve God? Jude is going to give us in this, as we look at these motivations, he's going to give us how people take that motivation and the tactics they use to get those things. So, uh, power, prestige, and money. So you have your next take-home truth is tactics of false teachers. The first one, point A, uh, 3A, is that tactics of false teachers, they will attack authority. You saw verse 8 in the beginning of this. Jude says that, that these individuals will reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Now let me be very clear. When we talk about authority, whether in the worldly sense or in the biblical sense, authority is a God-ordained structure. Because God is not just a being. God is the ultimate authority. And one day he will have his say. Everything in this universe either does or will fall under God's jurisdiction. He, he will not allow sin to go on. And because of that, there is authority put into churches. There's authority put into the Bible. There's authority put into the world that, that is a given right to lead our government. And so when these individuals start to attack authority, what they're doing is they're attacking the authority of people God has put into control. Today you will see people attack the authority of the Bible. We talked about this in Bridge Crew this morning. When I was in college, I had a, a professor and he wanted me to write an essay and he made me write an essay that said in Isaiah does not prophesy the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I had to put a disclaimer at the end of the essay and said, I wrote what my professor told me to write, but I don't believe this is true. But he began to attack what the Bible says in the sense of saying he knew more about the Bible than the Bible knows about the Bible. I'm not even sure how that works. Um, these individuals would attack biblical leaders. At this time that Jude writes this would be apostles and they would attack the apostles, their teaching and those trained by the apostles, speaking evil of them, verbally attacking them, turning people away from them and starting rumors for them. The ultimate goal of all of these things is to gain power for themselves. It is an ungodly trait to attack authority. Now this brings us to verse 9, which I know many of you heard a second ago and you're like, what is that? Verse 9 is the most confusing verse, maybe in the Bible, I don't know, but the most confusing verse in Jude for sure. Because it references something that we've never heard of before. Uh, verse 9 tells a story from an apocryphal book called The Assumption of Moses. And apparently what Jude is referencing, this, this source says that Satan argued with, uh, argued with the archangel Michael over Moses' body. You're like, where did that come from? I've never read that in the Bible, Satan trying to take Moses' body. Well, this is from an old book, an apocryphal book, which means it is of doubtless authenticity. That means that nobody really knows where it came from that told a story that Satan tried to steal the body of Moses and Michael the archangel was sent to stop him. This is not a scriptural story. This is not something that we find in our Bible. This is from an extra source. However, Jude is familiar enough with this story to use it as an example. Now, I'm bringing this up because I know when I read this section, the first thing that I did is said, what? What is that? And I spent hours trying to study that out. But what I found is what Jude is doing is he's using this as an example the same way that I might equate Looney Tunes to the Bible. Just because I use Looney Tunes in a sermon doesn't mean that Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck are biblical characters. And Jude uses this commonly known story as an example to back up what he's saying about attacking authority. It doesn't mean that this is a biblical concept. The point of verse 9, the point of that particular part 
is what he's saying is even Michael in this story did not speak evil of Satan, who is a very powerful being. He called on the authority of God. The point of this is that you don't attack people under your own authority. That is an ungodly trait. Yet, Bibli- or, I'm sorry, um, false teachers will attack biblical teachers most of the time. And they attack biblical teachers on nothing more than the authority of their opinion. I don't think they're doing it right. I don't agree with what they said because I, I think this way is better. And so false teachers will create a lot of division in churches, a lot of division in the Christian community by speaking not on the authority of Scripture but on their own inherent authority. Now this is another trick of Satan. Satan's main trick, as a matter of fact, the first trick he used on humankind was to attack authority. If you go back to Genesis 3, you see the story of Adam and Eve and the fall of Adam and Eve. What did Satan do when he came to Adam and Eve? He questioned God's authority. Eve said, oh no, God has said, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. And what did Satan say? Did God really say you were going to die? No, 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 no. God doesn't want you to eat from this tree because he knows it will make you like God's knowing good from evil. What did Satan say? God doesn't want you to eat from this tree because it will give you authority. You will be the one who knows right from wrong instead of God. This is Satan's playbook. Reject authority, attack authority, question authority, and then pull people into sin. Which tells us a lot about the heart of our false teachers as they are uh, rejecting God on satanic premises, uh, rejecting authority, deciding what is right and wrong. Uh, Let's read verses 12 through 15. Uh, these are spots in your love feasts, while the feast with them, uh, while you feast with them without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds. With, there it goes. They are clouds without water, uh, carried about on the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Tactics of false teachers, point B, is deception. A false teacher will be very deceptive. Now you see what he did. He kind of he kind of like meanders through this list of things to make a point. But what you'll see in this is all of the things that he's talking about are deceiving. As he begins to define these false teachers, he says they are spots on your love feast. Now that's a weird word. What's a love feast? Uh, back in biblical times, what they would do is they would have something uh, akin to a Baptist potluck, and everybody would bring food, and they would have this giant celebration, and they called it an agape feast, a godly love feast. We're celebrating the love of God. We're celebrating our love for each other. And what Jude is saying is, when these individuals come to your love feast, when they infiltrate in among you, they are spots in your love feast. They are uh, they are taking something away from that, and they are dangerous. As a matter of fact, that word spot. Uh, that is translated spot could actually be translated a hidden reef. Something just under the surface that is dangerous and that could sink your ship. He, He goes on to say that these false teachers are clouds without water. So this is Arkansas, and Arkansas in the summertime gets kind of dry. Now the past week, maybe not as much, correct? But most of the summer is pretty dry, and I know in Arkansas, like you see that, that cloud coming, and it brings some wind with it, and you're like, it's finally going to rain. Here is the Savior of the summer. My garden will live. There will be vegetables after all. 
and then the cloud passes right over you with no water, no dropping. He, he references here uh, trees without fruit. These are, these are trees that look healthy all through the year, but an unhealthy tree will not produce fruit. And so when it comes time to harvest, there is nothing there. He references these people as raging waves. When you're at the beach, a wave has a lot of noise, but not a lot of substance. As it hits something solid, it goes away and then goes back into the ocean. And then lastly, wandering stars. Uh, the focal point at this time of travel was a star. You would look into the sky and you would find a star and you would set your course through life by this star. I'm going this direction because that star is there. It is always in the same place. But a wandering star would be something that you would follow and it would take you down this path and that path and this path. And so what he's getting at, what Jude is getting at, the entire point of everything he just said is these individuals will look flashy, they will be loud, they will say, seem good, but there will be no substance to them. They are not what they seem. These people will appear to be like you. They will appear to be powerful. They will appear to know a lot about God, but in truth, they have no substance to them. Uh, last fall, Jessica and I were in Branson, and we went to a show up there. It was one of those, like, like we wanted to spend an afternoon out of the heat and out of the sun. And so there was an illusionist I wanted to see uh, called Reza. And if you've ever seen him, he's pretty good. I'm not recommending him, but he's pretty good. I like to go, and I like to see if I can figure out what they're doing. And uh, because we're, we're, we're cheap, we, we did the cheapest thing we could do with tickets. As I got online, and I began to look for tickets to this illusionist, and I found them, and I ordered them. And much to my dismay, they said, you can pick these up at a certain place. It was one of those things where they sell you the tickets and then they make you sit through a timeshare, you know, uh, try to sell you a timeshare before they'll let you have the tickets. So then we went to the show. I got my wife out of there without buying a timeshare, which is a miracle. And we went to the show and I knew because it was the cheap tickets, it would be like back row. And I was okay with that. We're not going to spend a lot of money for just some afternoon entertainment. And we walked into this show, and the woman at the desk, she asked me, she says, would you like me to upgrade you to the fourth row? I said, no, I don't want to pay for that. And she said, no, you don't understand, it's free. Well, in that case, yes, I would. So, so here we are with our cheap tickets sitting in the fourth row of this particular show, this, this illusionist. And he comes in and he does his opening bid and he's telling us all about it. And, and uh, he stops, he starts interacting. He says, okay, for this next bid, I need a volunteer from the audience. And, and I saw them wheeling out this buzzsaw out on the stage. And so immediately I'm like, yeah. And everybody around me go, oh, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. Everybody's like this. And I, I'm looking around, I'm not joking. This was my exact thoughts and this is not holy, but I'm going to be honest with y'all, my exact thoughts were, what a bunch of idiots. And that magician pointed at me in the fourth row and said, you in the blue shirt, I pick you. And I'm like, me? I didn't have my hand up. He's like, yeah, you. And so he pulls me up there and, and the assistant starts giving me some, uh, some instructions. And what they're going to do is they're going to put me in this machine with this buzzsaw and they're going to cut my head off. And of course, it's supposed to be an illusion, but I'm sitting there thinking, with my luck, this will be the day that this guy has gone crazy and he goes, let's do it for real. And, and so I'm walking up there, I'm kind of scared and they put me down into this thing. They're going to run this buzzsaw across. They give me like a line. They give me a bucket and set it in front of me. It has a line. I had to say, he said, are you ready? And so I need to go to the bathroom first. And he moved the bucket around behind my booty because I was down on my knees. And, I was, and then he takes this buzzsaw and he runs it through the back of my head. You guys want to see a picture of me getting my head cut off? Really? Y'all are mean. 
Uh, back in October, it's like, we love our pastor, thank you. Today, it's off with his head. This is a picture. By the way, somebody owes me 20 bucks because I bought that picture to show to y'all one day. That's what it took. But he takes this, you see that giant saw, it was turning and spinning, and he run it, and it looked like it went right through the straight back of my neck. Now, it did not. However, he did hit the back of my head as he run that thing across there, and that hurt. I should have sued. And, and then he takes it off, and I go sit down. I'm kind of embarrassed because I didn't really want to be up there. And at intermission, the guy sitting next to me who I had talked to before the show, as soon as the intermission started, he, he turns to me and he goes, what did you experience? I'm like, I felt the blade go through the back of my neck. And suddenly I was in the presence of God. I was holding my head under my arm and I was there with Jesus. And then suddenly I was back. I don't know how he did it. No, I didn't say any of that. I said, it was a trick. It was a cheap illusion. There was no saw blade that went through my neck. Somehow it contracted in there and came out on the other side. See, false teachers are going to have lots of fancy tricks that look really convincing. False teachers are going to have an ability to pull you in to their show. False teachers can make themselves look like something they're not, like a cheap trick illusionist. I've been saving that story for over a year, or nearly a year to share with y'all about that. But they will use these cheap tricks and they will make you think they are something they're not. Now, the best trick that a false teacher has is they are very cunning with their mouth. If you've still got your Bibles open, read with me verses 16 through 19. He says, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mocking in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. Verse 19, listen to this one. These are sensual persons who cause division, not having the Spirit. The last tactic of a false teacher is flattery and swelling words. Here, here's their overall tactic. Turn people against controversy or against authority with controversy and grumbling. Deceive people into thinking they are great and then flatter people to get themselves power. Most false teachers are master communicators and they'll tell you just what you want to hear. They will tell you things that sound great and make you feel good. They'll tell you things like, God's greatest plan for you is your happiness. God just wants you to be happy, and God wants you to have whatever it takes to make you happy. They'll tell you that God is a vehicle to give you health, wealth, and fame, that you can have the best life out of anybody if you'll just let God give it to you. This is a mark of a false teacher, is that they will focus on your wants. If all a teacher ever gives you in the form of instruction is what an unsaved person would want, they're probably a false teacher. They, they, they give to the, the lust of the flesh, not the nourishment of the soul. And people fall into this. But let me tell you, when you hear this, this is not the Bible. What these people are preaching is not God. As a matter of fact, if your God simply exists to satisfy all of your wants, your God is probably not Jesus. It's probably an idol that you name Jesus. Jude, Jude calls them here Dreamers, meaning they don't even live in the real world. Because see, sometimes truth is hard. If nobody ever says something hard to you, they're probably not giving you a lot of truth. Uh, one time I was, uh, I was traveling with some friends and we stopped at Cracker Barrel because Cracker Barrel is the, is the place to go. That's where you want to be. If you've got some Looney Tunes in your life and some Cracker Barrel, you, you're doing pretty good in life. 
And we stopped. We were rambunctious teenagers, 19, 20, somewhere in there. And we were sitting there. And we were just laughing it up, about eight of us around one of those big tables fighting over biscuits and stuff like this. And I'll never forget this. Is a gentleman walked up to our table, and he squatted right beside me. And he said, hey, guys, uh, he said, I don't mean to interrupt you. I know you're here having fun. He said, but the, my, my father, I brought him here. He's 90 years old. And the language that you guys are using is over the top and loud. And it's distracting and it's offensive. And he very kindly said, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but could you tone the language and the volume down because you're offending everybody around you? That was a truth that hurt me. Because not very long before that, I had sat in this church. I carried a Bible in my truck because I thought if somebody gets in my truck, I want them to see the Bible and I want them to think I'm a Christian. I, I characterized myself as the good church boy. But here was this stranger who gave me a hard truth. He said, not only are people not seeing Christ in you, he says, you are offensive to people the way that you act and talk. I'm still thankful for that man. I never talked to him again, but I'm thankful that he gave me a reminder of how to act in public, that he gave me a reminder of how I should act around people that should represent God. See, truth sometimes is hard. And a false teacher will skip the hard things because what they want from you is power and money. But somebody who cares about you will give you the truth. He ends the profile like this. He says, these people have not the Spirit. When he's characterizing these people, they have not the Spirit. Now, you need to understand what that means. Quick theology lesson here. When we are saved, when we give our life to Christ, when we become saved, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. I don't know how that works. I don't know why it works that way. I know the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit is within every believer. So here's what Jude is saying when he says, these people have not the Spirit. He's saying they're not just teachers that have gone astray. They're not just people that, that are, are teaching the wrong thing or misunderstood. These are people who don't even belong to Christ, and their leading congregations of people do. What the scripture is saying is there are wolves among us who look like us, but they are not us. As I studied this sermon this week, I, I had two examples prepared of, of prominent, well-known pastors. I told Larry the other day, I said, I'm fixing to call some names. And I had these profiles, and I had some quotes, and I was going to explain to you, here's two people to watch out for. And I, just, I really take it seriously to call names from this place up here. And so I was really praying about that, and God led me away from that. And I was confused. I was like, God, why can't I call a false teacher who I can prove through Scripture and through their own quotes a false teacher? And it pointed me to this is that the point of Jude is not for me to preach a sermon and tell you here's two people to work, watch out for. The point of Jude is that believers in Christ write these truths on our heart. That we take this profile of false teachers and we begin to measure teachers against these things. We begin to measure the authors of the Christian books we read against these teachings. We begin to measure the pastors that we watch on YouTube or listen to on the radio or see on the TV against these things. When we visit churches, we begin to measure the pastors of these churches against these things. Even me, when you come to this church, whoever stands on this stage, you measure them against the truth in Jude. Are these people teachers of God's word or are they false teachers going for, um, going for fame, glory, and money? Money. And when you identify a false teacher, you flee from them. Because contending for the truth, contending for the faith, is not about taking down a false teacher. It's about getting or keeping that false teaching out of me. Uh, so your next take-home truth, your last take-home truth, is identifying a false teacher is one tool we use to contend for the faith. See, because when these people preach these things, 
what they're doing is they're dragging people to hell along with them. And because you and I know the truth that God is not just a vehicle to get us more money or more happiness, that God is the ultimate authority, we are the guardians of the truth. We are, Brother Danny, we are the guardians of the fact that Jesus Christ came here to die for us. We are here because we believe in who he is. And what we have as a follower of Christ is so much better than what they offer. All false teachers can offer you is temporary health, temporary fame, temporary money, things that you will not have past your death date. But what our Savior came here to do is to give us eternal life. It is so much better than temporary wealth or temporary film. He gave us eternal life. He said, you can spend eternity with me. And all the goodness that is God and all the good things that, that we experience because of His grace, I'll give that to you. Amen. And I'll give it to you for free. I'll give it to you for the price of your faith that you trust God with it. And this morning as we collect here as believers, our only job is to just take hold of that truth and put it in our heart that that's what matters about our faith. I want to point one more thing out. There's some of us in here and we spend a lot of time listening to a false teaching, a cultural false teaching, that what you need from God is just to be good enough for Him and He'll let you into heaven one day. That He's going to have some kind of a scale and if you were good enough, He's going to let you in the gate. Here's a hard truth. That's not what the Bible says. When we measure ourselves against the Bible, it says that we are dirty, we are filthy, that there is nothing that can get us into the presence of God except for that Jesus Christ came here and shed His blood for you and me. And in order to access that, you must accept Him as your Savior in faith. If you're here this morning and you have not accepted Him, today is the day. You need a Savior. You don't need a religion. So this is our response time. I stand up here and I'm waiting on you to come up here. I'm waiting on you to come pray. I'll pray with you. I'm waiting for you to come up here and say, I want Jesus Christ as my Savior. I can lead you through that. But it starts with you and your heart deciding to give yourself to God. Let's stand and worship, please.